This is a podcast about answering one question. Are you on a journey that matters enough to you? To answer this question, you're going to need to dive right into your middles. I'm obsessed with middles. I've come to think that middles deserve another look. To ensure that you are on a journey that matters enough to you, buckle into that middle seat and let's go on this adventure together. Hashtag welcome aboard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Sharon Harris. Sharon has a bachelor's in music education, choral music education from Brigham Young University. She has her master's in humanities from the University of Chicago, and she has her PhD in English from Fordham University. Sharon is currently an assistant professor of English at Brigham Young University. And one thing, one of the many things I love about Sharon Harris is that she has such a well-rounded education in almost all things. Like there hasn't been anything that I've brought up, whether it's music related or athletic related or current event related, economically related, that Sharon hasn't researched at some point or has an education uh, on at some point. And she's always adding value to the conversation. Sharon's a brilliant thinker. She's obviously a brilliant writer. She's a brilliant musician and soloist. Overall, I'm so thrilled to have Sharon on the podcast. So welcome, welcome, Sharon. We are so excited to have you. Okay, before we get started, uh, for our community, we just want to get clear on, we're talking about journeys, we're talking about middles. And when we refer to the middle on this podcast, we're referring to a part of your journey where the beginning is far behind and the ending is either a long way off or perhaps unforeseeable. So that's what we're referring to when we talk about a middle. And Sharon is going to take us through a number of her middles on her journey. So we just want to get clear on what we're referring to. Okay, Sharon, we're going to start with question number one here. Are you on a journey that matters enough to you? When you hear that question, I'm just curious, what does it mean to you? And more importantly, because I know we've talked about this, what does enough mean to you? When I think about am I on a journey that matters enough to me, I, I think it I like the word enough because it it suggests that there's a a bar that's reachable. It's it and I don't have to be on the best journey ever in the world. I can I can be on one that is that matters enough and I think I can find a way there to be satisfied and happy and I expect it to challenge me and, and be fulfilling, but it doesn't mean that I have to have every day be the very best day ever, which doesn't seem mm. relevant. Right. Right. Especially when we think about the pressure we put on ourselves or that society puts on us in relationships to our jobs, our careers, even our callings, so to speak. Right. Because we had talked about getting the dream job, right? We talked about getting the dream job. And even within that, there are things that just aren't dreamy. Yeah. My, I feel like there's there's got to be something about most every job that there's a reason they have to pay someone to do it. <laughs> and, and so when you find yourself, I mean, for me, a lot of times it's grading, right? I mean, I, I love seeing what my students do on an individual level, but when I'm looking at a big stack of papers to grade, that's just not my favorite activity, but it's necessary and it's important and it's part of the job. And so not, not everything is going to be dreamy, but that doesn't mean it's not my dream job. Yeah. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I love to highlight your idea about enough. This idea that enough is a bar that's reachable. Let's talk about that. Like in your undergrad, for example, what was reachable for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I came to undergrad knowing that I wanted to teach. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to teach, although I think my dream really was to teach choir. 
So I, mm-hmm. I went, I did music education and to be a, a school choir teacher was my dream gig. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I would sit there as in, in school myself in middle school and high school and in choir class, think, what would I do if I were the director? How would I do, how would I teach this song? How would I try to be there for my students? All of that. So that's what I pursued. That's what I studied. I tried to become as well-prepared as I could be. And then I landed (laughs) kind of unexpectedly a dream job last minute uh, in Texas. So, so yeah, I had this fantastic experience and, and my colleagues around me were among the best in public school music system. I mean, I had so much good mentoring. And so everything was, was kind of dreamy, you know, Uh uh also having the parts that you you work really hard and you get burned out and it's, you have too many emails and parents, you got to explain things to all all the non-dreamy parts, but this was my dream job. So were you planning on staying for a while? Right. I did love it. And I could imagine being there and being happy as much as it was a dream job. There were some things about it that I wasn't sure how it was going to help me be fulfilled in my personal life long term. Ah. And then the longer that I worked there, I loved it. I would, I, I still miss it. I mean, there's still things that, that I wish I could do uh, back in that scene again. But I also knew that there were things about that job that weren't tapping into some of my gifts that were really uh, important to me. And so mm. I, I started to kind of think, is this where I want to be long term? And my, my dream didn't die, but it just kind of shifted in terms of my overall happiness and fulfillment. Where would I want to be? Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like the enough was there. It was reachable, for sure. So we talked about middles and the idea of middles moving. So tell me about that. Because I know you felt your middle moving, and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Because I know you went on. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I found myself discovering that it was moving when over the summer I'd go back home. Because, you know, I'd moved away to go to this job. I'd go back home to be with family or or friends and family that I hadn't seen in a while would ask me how things were going. And I would say, Oh, I love it. The students are great. The community is, is great. And I said, but you know, I think ultimately I may go back to grad school and I would hear myself say this and I would think, Oh, is that what you're planning? I mean, I wasn't even necessarily in the, in the process of talking about it with other people, I just expressed this continued desire to uh, go on to a different and an additional degree. Right. And I knew that if I were going to go to grad school, I wasn't going to go in music. I was going to pursue more literature. I mean, so music and literature were two loves that I'd been trying to kind of decide between in undergrad. And I just felt like if I'm going to make the shift, then it's going to be the shift to literature besides to an additional degree. Okay, so when your middle shifted, your enough shifted. So you were craving more development. That makes a ton of sense. I think we underestimate how quickly or slowly it comes, the development, the growth, but it comes. Okay, so what happened next? Yeah, I just felt like, you know what, this this has been a beautiful experience and it has fulfilled a dream of mine, which was so gratifying. But I also felt like I don't know that this is where I want my my dream to kind of land. And so, uh, yeah, started applying for a bunch of different graduate programs and I was accepted to do a, and the trick is I was switching fields for one, right? Like I'm moving from my music degree to a literature degree. 
I have done mm. that often underestimated how challenging yeah. it is. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, that's that, that was a big, that was a big uphill climb, big learning curve. So as I'm applying to different grad schools, I got into the University of Chicago that had a master's program that you could kind of, it was a master's program in humanities that you could kind of self-design. And I felt like that would be a really good opportunity to pivot from the music to the literature, kind of combining both with where I would have leeway in classes I could pick. Were you applying to lots of different schools? Like, did you know you wanted to live in Chicago? I know you were single at the time. I know you were looking for community. Yeah, I I did. I was looking at where do I want to live, but also what kinds of programs seem to be good. I think I applied to uh, schools in Chicago, Boston, Denver. All over. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there, were, there, were, there were probably five or six different schools. It wasn't like a, I wasn't applying to everywhere under the sun, but I applied to a number. And I ultimately was choosing between a place in Chicago and Boston. And I don't know if you want to, if you, if you want to include this or not, but uh, I... I'm not sure if I made the best decision whether to go to Chicago or Boston. I loved, I ended up choosing Chicago and I loved it, but I don't know. I mean, (laughs) how could we not include this? We couldn't, we we have to include it. I mean, we do it. We're in it and we finish, right? And I, and to this day, like, I still sometimes wonder what would my life look like if I'd gone to Boston instead? And I don't know. I loved Chicago. I'm not sorry. It's not like there was a right answer. It was just, (laughs) I wish, I wish I, I wish we could all have, you know, kind of a choose your own adventure book. That's the dream for me that I could take eight different routes and come back and be the same age and look just as good and be just as fit. I love that because have we all created the perfect journey? Have we? Who knows? And and this is something, I mean, kind of as a side note, this is something I've thought a lot about, about what adulthood means. Um, I think that uh, adulthood Part of part of being an adult, an adult is to uh, make decisions that have real consequences, lasting impacts uh, that you can't undo per se, and that that make it make it a measurable difference. And they foreclose other opportunities. Like in my twenties, anything was open, right? Like I could still kind of, if I wanted to switch course, if I wanted to pursue this or that, all these options are still available. But I think. The longer you get into adulthood, you have to start making some decisions where maybe not everything is available in the way that it was when you were younger. Okay, let me let me get back to adulthood. So you're saying that adulthood is looking at choices with real consequences that forego other opportunities. Did I get that? Adulthood is looking at choices with real consequences that forego other opportunities. Well, there's a fear in closing options. I coach on this all the time. I mean, especially the more talented, the more credentialed, the more qualified, it's hard to just close a door. That's the hardest part, I think. So here you are in Chicago. Let's talk about it. I mean, I went to Chicago and I didn't go to Boston. Right, 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 right. I still wonder, like, what would it be like if I had gone to Boston? But I don't, I don't know and I won't know. And my life is good with the choice I made. But I could have made a different choice, you know. I know that you mentioned a desire to get a PhD at this point. I mean, I think the the idea of a PhD was an open question but when I when I started the master's. I wasn't yeah. sure if I was going to do it or not, but I figured the master's would be a good way of kind of getting more exposure to grad school and academia and to see if this is something I wanted to do. And it would also be a way of pivoting to literature, right? Mm-hmm. So I had I had some really excellent experiences in Chicago. 
I still draw on the things that I learned there and the friends that I made and, and all of that. At the same time, uh, it was an accelerated program for the, ma- for the thesis portion of it, for the master's thesis. There were some miscommunications, I think, with my advisor and me. He was very helpful. He made himself available, gave me lots of uh, good counsel and that kind of thing. But I think he had a different project in mind than than I did. And we just didn't discover that we were on different pages until it was too too late, really. About six weeks before I was supposed to turn this in in order to be able to graduate, he said, um, I think you're working on the wrong project. I think you should start over. What? <laughs> and, and just just drop it, just start over. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever written a thesis, but trying to write it in a few weeks is just not. That's crazy. Okay, so this is a middle for sure. So at this point, what are you feeling? I mean, when he said that to you, what was your reaction? I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm kind of tenacious. I did, I did a lot of cross country running and stuff growing yeah. up, and so I had this idea, like, okay, I guess I just have to like go up this hill. Uh huh. But, but, it, but it was terrifying, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm like, I don't even, I don't know if I can finish this thing. I don't know how, and I still wasn't even clear exactly on what the project was supposed to look like. I, I it was just supposed to start over. See, for me, I would have wanted an apology. Absolutely. I want an apology. So did you rebuttal? I mean, I'm with you on the hill part, but still, give me an apology. So you knew it and he knew it? No, I I could tell that the current version wasn't working. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to get it done. And so, I mean, I I put a program together for myself of, of, I mean, that's the most intense I've ever worked on writing anything. And I've, Mm -hmm. you know, written a book since then and a dissertation and a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of articles. But that, that... I, I don't know if I was just working harder and not smarter, but I was working as hard as I possibly knew how, right? Yes. And so I was putting in really long days and trying to read and making all the notes and just really kind of flogging myself to try and get this thing out. Got some semblance of something. I, I get the grade, I get the degree. And I mean, against against maybe some expectations, given the description I'm giving here, I felt like I did want to go on and do the PhD. I wasn't sure, but I felt like I wanted the option open. So I go in to meet with my advisor when this is all done, like after graduation and everything. And I wanted to talk to him about this prospect. Now, the thing is, he and I both knew under the circumstances, I I got the thing done, but the thesis sucked. I mean, it was just, oh, it was awful. It was awful. Like, like, like I still have- you knew it? He knew it? I knew it. I knew it. I, I, and I, the thing is, the, the longer, the older I get and the more I've written better things, the more it sucks. Right. Um, you, you have about the older I get, the better I was. And this one, the older I get, the worse it was. <laughs> yeah. You can just scratch my name off that. Thank you very much. Not mine, not my thesis. I've never picked it up to look at it again or read it again. Yeah. I can't bring myself to do it. So I knew it wasn't very good. It was good enough to graduate, but it wasn't very good. And I went back to talk to the, my advisor about it. And I said, and I'm, you know, I'm nervous about this, right? I, I want to keep this option open of what if I maybe pursued a PhD? I don't know. This this didn't go very well, but maybe I can still learn from this. And, and I like the idea of being an academic, of being a professor. And so I meet with him and he says, I, well, as we're talking about it, I say, so I'm considering maybe still a PhD. And I wondered if you would be willing to write a letter for me. And I, but But first of all, do, do you think do you think I could do a PhD? And he looked at me and he said, well, not if you write like this. And uh, <laughs> that was hard. That was really hard. 
So, wow. Okay. So, so where were you when he said this? Were you in his office? They're in his office. And I, I like, I just, I remember I said, okay, thanks. And then he kind of seemed to feel bad. And he was like, well, you know, I'll write a letter if you need me to, but maybe you should just really think about it, you know? <laughs> and I, I remember gathering up my stuff and kind of walking out just kind of numb. And this feeling of, here's a thing I think I may want to do. I haven't decided. And I don't know if anybody really has my back on this. <laughs> okay, including family, friends. Yeah, and I mean, like, my friends and family ultimately will support whatever I want to do. But they're not in the field. They don't know what it takes, right? What do I do now? Yeah, I've left my former dream job. I've I've done this thing. I've got this master's. By the way, it was in 2008. So, of course, the economy. Oh, came. wow. And you were in your 30s? I wasn't yet. I was in my late 20s. And that letter... That letter is everything. It's your door in. It is. Yeah. I, if you don't have a good letter, you can't, you can't get into it. Right. It's everything. So did he write you the letter? He did. He wrote me the letter after all. And I found a couple people from undergrad to help write for me. But the thing was, is it meant, well, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself about how I did, ended up pursuing the PhD anyway. But I, but because of this, I didn't really know what I was doing when I applied. There are lots of tips and tricks and things to know and networking that goes into that. And I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I was kind of doing it on my own. I kind of, because I couldn't use my thesis. A lot of times you'd use your thesis as your writing sample, all that kind of thing. I, I just wrote a paper on my own, (laughs) not in school. To, to have a writing sample to apply for a PhD. So looking back on your master's, what did the degree give you, both intrinsically and extrinsically? I mean, we know you got your master's, but yeah, what did it give you? Yeah, yeah, there, there are a few different things. So just in terms of professional prep, I mean, obviously it was a stepping stone like I'd hoped it would be. Chicago, the University of Chicago is well known for their emphasis on um on theory. Um, and that was really useful. It, it taught me to think in ways that I hadn't before. So it kind of got me prepped that way, but more on the sort of personal side of things, besides giving me like an abiding fear of writing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It gave me, it gave me, um, a sense of I've worked that hard. It's hard to scare me now. Right. You know? I, I, I worked that hard. And, and, and even, even though it was so defeating, like after he said that to me, I didn't even tell anybody about that conversation for a year. I just, I just couldn't deal with it. I just had to put it on the shelf. Like, wow. how do you tell somebody that your thesis advisor doesn't know if you can get a PhD? If that's, if, if, if you're pursuing a PhD, right? Especially since he's your confidant and your source to credibility. I can see why you won't want to look at it. Or posted anywhere right back in the day, like when we couldn't post or didn't post. I love that. I love that you can't scare me, which is a great attitude to go into New York City with. So you got complete on that, ended up with the master's. How did you navigate what was next? Yeah. So, I mean, as you can tell, the end of the master's was, even with its completion, was kind of harrowing. Like, like it, it hurt. It kind of got in a, in a really personal way. And so I was left kind of wondering what to make of these pieces of my life choices that were <laughs> that were left at the time. And I I took it to God. I mean, I I just was like I God, what do you what do you think I ought to do here? And and the question that I was wrestling with for a while, you know, in my personal devotions were was should I get the PhD? 
you know, should I pursue a PhD? And in the course of just kind of trying to pray about this and think about it, I felt I felt the question change. So the question was no longer, should I pursue a PhD? But mm-hmm. when should I pursue a PhD? Which of course answers the former question. Huge, huge. Okay, so you went from should to when. And what was your reaction to that? It was like, oh, well, that's, that's good to know, I guess. I guess I, I guess I will pursue the PhD and I just need to figure out when. It was that clear to you? It, yeah, it felt, I mean, it felt natural and it felt grounded and it felt, I mean, because I was so disoriented by the, by the experience, I could recognize the settled feeling that I had in that, right? That was, that was a difference. That was a marked difference. So you find yourself in a middle once again on your academic journey. What was an ending turned out to actually be a middle. I think that's really important for our audience to understand that often what we think may be an ending turns out is a middle of something larger. I love that you went to deity and that that's where the settling came from. So not from your friends or your family, but a spiritual source. And the settling was critical to step forward, correct? And I needed that. I needed that to be the case. Why? Well, because... Because a PhD is a long, hard road. I mean, different fields have it different ways, but in my field, sort of like the average year, to, the average time to degree for a PhD is is at least eight years. Yeah, sometimes yeah. more. Oh. And uh, and the oh. right, ooh, oh. it's a big commitment. And mm-hmm. and I mean, it's a big financial commitment. Besides the cost of the schooling, it's the it's you're not getting an income, you know, that you can put away savings and retirement and all that kind of stuff at that time. You're moving far away. It's a lot of work and. Uh, and the job market at the end of all of that is awful. I mean, the job market is absolutely terrible for, for my field. So there's absolutely no guarantee that you're going to get the job you've worked for anyway. Yeah, this green light, let's go. And that is another thing that the, that's another thing that the masters gave me is that I, I mean, Chicago is an excellent school and I got exposure to the people that were pursuing these kinds of uh, fields and degrees and I could see what I was in for, right? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, this was a high risk thing that I was kind of doing with eyes open. When I had the the sort of spiritual aspect of it, as I was figuring that out, I happened to be visiting two people that were really important to me: my best friend and my sister. They live okay. in different places in the U.S., and I just happened to be visiting them as I was working through this, and they got to kind of see me figure that out. They got to see that spiritual process. And so they could see when I felt really good about saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. I'm, I want to pursue the PhD. And that was really, really beautiful to have these two people that I was close to who know me, who want the best for me, and who believe in me, even if they don't know exactly everything that a PhD entails. To have had that experience with them at the beginning was really valuable in the long road ahead for the PhD because uh, they could remind me when other people might be like, are you sure this is a good idea? Why are you doing this? They could, they could remember with me that sort of grounding initial experience. They witnessed it. And I can imagine this was another experience of feeling settled and they know you. I remember on the corner of 102nd street and Broadway in Manhattan, we were both single at the time. And you said, it would be so nice to have a witness to my life. And I've never forgotten it. I journaled it. It's interesting to think now we're both married with the witnesses. And it's truly, Sharon, for me, it's truly a joy. And also a big pain. It's a reliability issue I never imagined. But it, it is so beautiful. And 
well-designed when it's working. Right. Right. It's, it's a real strength. And I think, I think I needed that. I need, I mean, this was a big enough undertaking. I needed a couple of witnesses to that decision. So green light from God, from sister, from friend, off you go to Fordham. And now you're, you're in your early thirties. 30 when I started the PhD. I'm a little nervous about that. Right. Like, I mean, I, in retrospect, I mean, I'm older now and I'm like, oh, well I was still. Sharon, you were a spring chicken. But actually, I mean, given your conservative background, kind of an old maid too, right? You weren't married at this point. I came, I mean, my family lives in a small town out West. And whenever I would go home, people would kind of look at me consolingly, kind of shake their heads like, oh, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work right. out for you, did it? And instead right. of being, you know, excited that I'm pursuing a PhD or whatever. Anyway. Uh-huh. So how long did it take you to finish your PhD? Ultimately, it took me eight years. I mean, oh I clocked in right on the average. Yeah. I hoped... You'd hope to beat the average, but it turns out, hey, there are averages for a reason, right? I always try to beat them too. Yeah. And it took eight years, but in the process, I, I did get married and mm-hmm. also got pregnant and got a job. And so- Wait, so how long did it take for all of this to happen? Yeah. Well, uh, there were a lot of years. I mean, the first, let me see, the first five, six years of the, of the when I was working on the PhD was- you know, coursework, I, I, I taught a lot. It was everything kind of going as it had been. And then at the end, everything squished together. I, I met my now husband. I met him in 2014 and we got married uh, two years later. I graduated and got the job and got pregnant all two years after that. Let's talk about middles. Yeah. So what middles did you experience during your PhD? This is when you and I were getting to know each other quite well. And I just remember there was a lot going on for good and for bad. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to afford to live in New York City on a graduate student stipend. And so I was always looking. I mean, my first apartment, I was sharing with three other roommates in Harlem. Keyword, three roommates, folks. Three roommates. It gets better. I had had to walk through one of the bedrooms to get to mine. I was glad they didn't walk through mine to get to theirs. And then I moved to another apartment uh, with, there were five of us in one bathroom. Um, That was an 88 square foot bedroom. Come on. I have a measuring tape in my head. That's so small. That's so Manhattan. Yeah, it's a small bedroom. But they also, the other thing was, is that was my only, that was my only personal space, right? Like, I mean, the the apartment is, is, is relatively small, but then in terms of like what space is mine, that's it. And so trying to, that was when I had my comprehensive exams. And so I have a lot of reading to do, trying to study and read when you've got a bunch of other roommates and this little tiny space to do it in. Eventually I decided I can't do this. I've got to, I've got to move to live alone where I've got a little more control over my environment. And so I moved uptown, way uptown. I don't know if you know, but Manhattan streets go above the number 200. So I lived up there and and that's that's what I could afford. Right. So I, so I move up there and it's lonely. I remember, I mean, cause I'm doing a lot of the studying and, and, and working alone to prepare for the exams. I remember one day I realized that I had made eye contact with my super outside the window, but that was the only human interaction I'd had in like three days. And I was like, Oh, I need to get out. <laughs> I mean, I need to. That's wild. That's wild. Knowing, knowing you, I can actually imagine this. I remember, uh, you know, the experiences you shared with me from your times in London. And, you know, middles, like you said, middles are lonely. They're so lonely. Yeah. It was lonely and, and nobody, and then because nobody sees what you're doing, you just have to go through it. And, and that's where the sort of internal motivation 
was so critical because, I mean, nobody else knows what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. And it's really easy to question when you're in the thick of it. So would you go back to those witnesses at that point to lean on? Yeah. Loneliness is a whole other podcast, right? That wasn't, wasn't a very discussed subject 10 to 15 years ago. We've done such great work on it since. But we know about the connection to shame. You know, Brené Brown recently brought on a loneliness expert. It's actually the Surgeon General. His name is Dr. Vivek Murphy. Yep, and he talked about, you know, he said that, you know, we have all these other vocabulary words to describe the experience of being lonely, but we never use the word. Why? Because it's connected to shame. And we don't want to feel that shame. And Dr. Vivek Murphy was studying it because it was connected to health. So you're in the 200s of Manhattan in another middle. Right, right. Just up there kind of in, you know, upper Manhattan trying to make this happen. Eventually got the the comprehensive exams done. But I then working on the thesis, or excuse me, on the dissertation, I had another uh, challenge with an advisor where we just kind of weren't seeing eye to eye. And so I, I switched midway to switch advisors and then had some, I ran out of funding, uh, didn't get, didn't get my funding for an, another year. I remember this. And now, and when I, when I lost funding, I had to move. I mean, I, I couldn't afford to be in New York. And so I'm, I'm moving back home. <laughs> I mean, at this point I'm, I'm what in my early mid thirties and I, and I have to move out. You move back to your parents. It's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So to, just so that I don't go into more debt than I need to. I managed to get some uh, some other temporary funding sources to go do some research in England, which was wonderful. But again, it was very lonely. I mean, I'm across the ocean and also at that time trying to figure out uh, a relationship. I ended up marrying the guy eventually, but that was stressful to be gone and be poor and, be, you know. Not not know if this is ever going to go anywhere. Not know if I'll even get the job after it's all done. It was... But you complete it. Well, yeah, that that's it. I, I completed the dissertation eventually, completed the degree, applied for the job, and th- things worked out beautifully, which, I mean, at, at one point they were going so fast that it, it seemed kind of surreal. And so what year in your PhD did you end up meeting Edward? I met him my fourth year. Yeah, well, and actually... I mean, that's another story in and of itself. But I, I had been uh, in a different relationship and planning to move away from New York for the summer so that I could be closer to the person I, I had been dating. We broke up, but I had already sublet my apartment. I had already made the arrangements to move. So now I found myself moved away in a place that I, I was like, why am I here since I don't even have this relationship anymore? And that was, that was when I met Edward, my now husband. So, Thank you for taking us on your journey. There's nothing smooth about it, but the accomplishments were so great. And, you know, there were so, there were smooth moments when we met, there were so many great moments. One, you know, once in a lifetime moments, all the Broadway, all the food, two words, you know, one man, two governors. Oh yeah. We, I mean, we saw fantastic shows and we ate great food and there's just, I mean, this, you know, irreplaceable energy in New York that um, I'm so, I, I am grateful all my life that I uh, was able to, to know New York. But these moments, these middles, strong beginnings, obviously, and strong endings. And now you're right where you want to be. It's right where you want it to be. I, I, I am talking to you now from my office at BYU, looking out over these gorgeous mountains. So awesome. <laughs> um, so and yeah, it's, it's, it's a dream come true. I mean, it is really. And this, 
I don't see this middle moving. This feels like uh-huh. the dream of my life. When I hear that, I go, wow, wow, the middles are worth it. So what have your middles taught you, Sharon, that perhaps nothing else could have? I'm obsessed with middles. Share with me. The middle is where, I mean, um, to, to put it in a certain way, it's where I found out who I am, what I'm made of, right? I mean, it, it was, that's why it was so important that I felt good about it intrinsically because mm-hmm. when they were so hard, when the middles are so hard, if you can go back to that kind of core feeling and decision that nobody else can make or take from you, right? You just kind of stick with it and, and try to maintain some faith in the process. And, and now, like, I really do have confidence and satisfaction that I'm where, that I'm where I am and that I'm who I am. And, and, and there was no, there was no shortcut. I guess that's what I mean to say. The, the middle's mean that you you don't get any kind of shortcut. You have to go through it. Wow, wow, wow. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So tell me more about that. And, 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 I, and I think they also, like, I figured out that I don't, things don't have to be great for me to be, to have happiness, put it that way, right? Like, tell me more about that. I, I can be happy in the middle of uh, living kind of lonely and scared that I'm not going to, pass my exams or, or whatever it is, I can find small things to be grateful for. I can, I can kind of take ownership of my life in a difficult middle and still find uh, ways for it to be meaningful and fulfilling. Yep. I'm with you. It's made me think a lot about, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I mean, cause I did, I ended up having all of the things that I hoped for that I worked for happen. But that was by no means obvious that it was going to go that way. And it doesn't mean that my life now is perfect. So it doesn't mean that you are sitting in the 200s of Manhattan anymore. You didn't know how it would land. What you described to me was, Mala, I'm going to get there. And there's, there was no assured timeline on your journey, no certain outcome to folks that haven't had the settling, God and your two witnesses, to all of us out, 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 out here I remember, I mean, we weren't quite sure what you were, what was going to happen or where you were going to land. I mean, we, we, you know, we said, well, we love Sharon. Yeah, but let, let's see. Let's see here. For sure. And that's the thing because, because I mean, the, the thing about, about your own personal middle is nobody else can do it for you. I know, but don't you wish they could? Right. But it also means that nobody else can take away who you become and what you learn. Right. So, wow. Like, how rewarding does that feel? You're sitting in your office right now. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful, right? I mean, and, and it, it gives confidence it, and, and, and I feel happy. And I feel, frankly, it makes me want to help my students. I mean, where I am yes. now, to, yeah. to believe in themselves, to, to believe that the journey is worth it. And, and, and I think for me, too, I don't want to make it sound like you do the middle so that you can get where you want to go. You, you let the middle make you who you want to be. I think that I tried to find this balance between who do I want to be and where do I want to go? And I need to make them work together. And that's an art and one that grows that you don't have down in your teens or your twenties. It develops when you're in a middle, the easy part is in the doing. Yes, I can, I can do the paper. I can do the project. It's all those moments of lonely, of angst, of, I don't know. I don't know the timeline. I have an idea, but it's not lining up. And it's certainly not God's timeline. You know, the gift of the middle is the becoming. And the focus is on the being. The being is very hard to sit with. 
Yes. I mean, that's, that's perfect because, because I really can say that even if things hadn't ended up the way that they've ended up for me, who I became in the process, I'm proud of, I'm happy with. And I could, I think I could find a way to be happy because of who that person is, because of who I've become, regardless of what I ended up doing. Absolutely. And you can't put a price tag on that and you can't quite describe it. I remember you telling me, Mala, a middle is often what you're doing when no one can see. A middle is often what you were, what we're doing when no one can see no headlines, no trophies. If you're extrinsically rewarded person, who doesn't want to have that, the trophy, the headline, nothing to show someone. I mean, your PhD took eight years for crying out loud. And the best is that you got it in English. So I can imagine some people were thinking or are thinking, wow, now are you going to survive? And I say, you're in Provo and it's beautiful. And you have your husband, you have your baby, and you're doing work that you love. Work that's you, not just a job to do. There's no way to describe that, which is why we're on this podcast talking about it, because it is worth it in the end. I think of a software example, you know, it's like Sharon 3.0 when we met and now look at Sharon 12.0, 13.0, just elevated. It's just absolutely right. And, and I, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade who I've become for it. And there's no, there's no other way, but through, and, and like you said, who you are when nobody's looking, there's no validation in a middle. It has to be intrinsic. And that's why I think there's so much strength from it. Okay, Sharon, in our time left, give it to me. One piece of advice to give the person who's asking the question, am I on a journey that matters enough to me? What we were just saying, I think, is if, you, if you've done the work to know who you are or where you want to go in an intrinsic sense. I mean, like if you've, if you've done the work of kind of like, if that for you is taking it to God or figuring out what your values are or whatever it is that makes you intrinsically grounded, Mm-hmm. then pair that direction that you're headed with a lot of intentional effort on who you want to be. Um, that's what I would say about going through a middle is don't sacrifice who you want to be in the process. Sharon, thank you for sharing your journey. Yours has such tremendous value and it's real and it's raw and it's human and the rewards are there. This this is such a pleasure. And I'm just so grateful for the work you're doing. This is I mean, as you can tell, this is something I feel strongly about, and it's so valuable to give people the tools to figure out who they are in these middles. I'm really, really grateful for all you're putting into this. Keep shining, my friend. Keep shining brightly. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for sharing your journey. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the conversation, please, please, please rate and review the show on either the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps people find this show faster and easier. Also, as a textbook extrovert, I would love to hear what you think. Tell me what's working for you, what's not, and what you'd like to hear more of. DM me on Instagram at at Mala Graywall. Again, that's at Mala Graywall, M-A-L-A-G-R-E-W-A-L on Instagram. Thanks for listening.